Hey, before we get into this episode today, I just wanted to let you know that we would greatly appreciate if you liked, subscribed, left a review, five stars, five testicles, whatever you want to call them on this podcast. That will help this podcast rank higher in search results so that in the future, anybody who's searching for resources when they've just been diagnosed or have just become a survivor or is a caregiver, they can find this podcast more easily and listen to your stories. Thank you so much. And let's get into the episode. The stories shared on It Takes Balls are unique to the individual sharing. Always speak with your trusted medical provider for treatment options specific to you. Welcome back to It Takes Balls, presented by Testicular Cancer Awareness Foundation. It's December 1st. We are in the last month of 2023. Just a note, we're going to go from one episode a month to two episodes a month starting this month. So that's exciting if you're a, a listener. But this month, uh, first episode, I'm joined by a current patient of testicular cancer treatment, Owen Murphy. Uh, Owen, thanks so much for being here. Yeah. So as I mentioned, you are currently in treatment. Um, you know, when you did the submission, you were a little bit earlier in it. Now you're, you're in your last week of, of BEP, but let's talk about like before you got to where you are now, let's talk about like when you were first diagnosed, what were you feeling? Was testicular cancer something ever you thought you thought about before? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just going to go out there and say, no, no, I was, I had not been thinking about it. Um, what, what do you mean? What, like what I was feeling around the, uh, the time of diagnosis. Yeah. Like what led you to finally go be seen? Oh, okay. Got you. Um, yeah, no, I was just uh, laying in bed one night doing as, uh, most of us do and, uh, you know, kind of adjusting everything down there and, um, had noticed, um, like a hard, um, growth or, you know, well, the tumor at the time, um, on the back right of my testicle. And it was pretty small. Um, my, uh, full growth was like 2.4 centimeters, um, at the time of my orchiectomy and stuff. So, uh, at, at the time, not, not too concerned about it not a lot of pain or anything really. I, I noticed it, I guess, physically first, there wasn't any, um, like pain or anything reasoning for me to be uh, self-examining down there. But, uh, yeah. And, uh, I, I told my parents, um, cause I was a little, you know, concerned. It did not feel normal. And then, uh, we are here now. So you said you were adjusting yourself like as we do. Um, I guess you had been familiar with yourself before that you weren't technically doing like a self exam, but you would notice something was different. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, uh, so I lifeguard actually at the UT swim center, um, when I'm home from school. And one of the, I guess one of the one things that I did notice was I, I have a fanny pack that sits on my uh, lower abdomen area. So when I'm up on the stand, there was a, I don't know, more of like a pressure feeling, um, in that area, if you will. Um, and, uh, then yeah, so uh, yeah, just just adjusting myself and yeah. All right, so when you told your parents that you felt that, what was their reaction? Um, initially, they had you know they calmed me down. I'm I'm always been actually pretty paranoid about my body, so which I've you know is a good thing in this scenario. Um, but I, I called them, and I, obviously, my first thought actually is you know, what if, right. Um, but I, and that, you know, they calm me down. They're like, no, there's no way. Um, we'll, we'll go get it looked at whatever. And, uh, my dad had, um, had reached out to some, uh, one of his buddies that he knew a good urologist and that was that. And then when you, what was the timeline between feeling it and then seeing this urologist that your dad knew? Um, I think I was, I was in there in two weeks. 
Okay. It was a pretty quick turnaround just because I needed like the peace of mind too. Cause I was like, I wouldn't say I was super like thinking about it all the time, but um, it was definitely, definitely something that was on my mind. Yeah. So tell me about when you went to the urologist, what was that like? Um, let's see, like walk you through all of my, my, my process there, I guess. Yeah. So I, I went initially and he just gave me a physical, a physical exam and he initially thought, um, uh, because I, because of how young I am, I guess that it was, a uh, ep, I'm going to butcher this, but an epidemic cyst maybe, mm-hmm. um, which is, I mean, he pretty much told me, you know, don't worry about it. Um, it should be fine unless the pain gets worse, whatever. Um, and I, uh, I left from that and here, hold on. Sorry. I'm losing my train of thought. I'm going to blame it on the chemo brain fog. It's been happening a lot. Um, no worries. Yeah. Uh, he, he told me it was a cyst. He told me, don't worry about it. He told me, um, that if the, obviously if the pain increases to call him. Um, and so I went to the physical exam and then he said, because of your age range and all this, you know, good stuff, we're going to have to, we're going to give you an ultrasound. Um, I did my ultrasound, um, didn't really think much of it. Um, and then I actually went in, um, this is an interesting tidbit, but I went in for my follow-up after my ultrasound and my parents were out of town. And so they were actually on a vacation in the Exumas with some friends, uh, some family friends from college. And, um, so I got diagnosed when my parents were like, when I was home alone, mm. which was, um, uh, definitely an interesting, uh, doctor's appointment, at least. Um, but I, uh, I went and, you know, he told me, we, we think it's a testicular cancer, uh, you know, it's a mass, um, most likely, right. Um, they can't, you know, couldn't tell me for sure yet until the orchiectomy, but, um, yeah, that was a, that was a tense, a tense room. Cause he, you know, got my dad on the phone, explained everything to my dad. My dad's also like, you know, what is going on? Um, but Yeah. So this was in July of this year, 2023, July 24th. And then, so what was the time from that appointment to uh, having your orchiectomy? Uh, my orchiectomy was August 3rd. Um, so I believe, I believe we waited. Uh, he, 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 he said like one to two weeks isn't going to change much. Um, so I think we waited about um, a couple of weeks to get some second opinions. Um, and, you know, just, uh, have the, um, I don't know, peace of mind to know that we're doing the right thing, um, doing a surgery like that. But yeah. And you mentioned your, uh, your age earlier. I don't know if I mentioned it off the top. I can't remember, but yeah, you're 19. So you're the youngest, uh, guest we've had on, um, okay. which is good because 15 to 44 is kind of the age range that, uh, TCAF mm-hmm. yeah. talks about. So I appreciate you applying and, and wanting to represent the, yeah. the teens here. Um, yeah, no, definitely got to get some younger guys in here. Yeah. Talk to me about the period of second opinions you mentioned, because I know at one point in your submission, you said you reached out to Dr. Einhorn and then Dr. Cost. Um, no, this, so the second opinion, uh, actually, I guess we didn't really get in a second opinion uh, in between or before the, the orchiectomy, the orchiectomy happened. And then the second opinion was mainly, Hey, is this cancer? And then it was second opinions on and around uh, what kind. So m- mainly the pathology of it. Okay. Um, Cause that can vary with treatment and stuff. So um, let's see. Yeah. I don't, 
There was, uh, there was like a family friend that we knew somehow, some way, um, and just got lucky that, uh, ended up being in the doctors of the radiologists that, um, got my pathology originally through Dr. Kasurik's office. Um, and they, that was someone my dad knew and, uh, he just ended up, you know, giving us a second opinion on pathology. And then we did have MD Anderson look at it because we had an appointment lined up. It, it, we did ended up not going cause it just, it, it didn't make sense. Um, but they said the same thing. And then, um, but I would say Dr. Cost was our main, um, like second opinion. Um, and we gave him the pathology and I think he looked at it and, you know, he, he, he gave us the same, the same answer, but, um, yeah, he was our main one. And, and I actually think Dr. Cost ended up in a small world. He knew the, uh, the doctor we had at MD Anderson that we were going to go to, he was in, um, uh, what's it called? I think he studied with him in uh, college or something like that. So, awesome. but it was, it's, it was, it's interesting to see that uh, come full circle that Dr. Cost was on the podcast and uh, cause I know y'all are trying to raise awareness. Right. And we saw him through that and uh, we absolutely love the guy. So um, yeah. Yeah. That's great. So you mentioned um, that you were a student at uh, in Colorado so yeah. talk to me about like how this kind of all impacted your studies. I mean, I guess this was in the summer, so maybe you hadn't quite gotten back into the semester, but like what was going through your head, like with this diagnosis and what, you know, the future was going to hold. No. Yeah. And uh, I'm glad you asked that. Cause, um, and you, you know, you mentioned me being younger and I think there's a lot of, a lot that comes with um, this disease in general that from more of a mental side of things, obviously, but um, when, when younger guys get it, it's, there's, there's a big social hit that you take, you know, you, you may not be uh, uh, have a, have a job working and, you know, you just take time off and come back from that, which is still hard, but there's a lot that comes in with like school and all that kind of stuff. Um, so I, I, I ended up just taking the semester off cause you know, I ended up doing the full three cycles of BEP. Um, but originally I thought that I was going to have to do, or I, I thought that I could do three weeks and I thought that I could do that there, but that is not the case. Um, which that, that, that would have been pretty difficult, um, under, from my understanding, uh, now, but, um, I'm doing, I'm doing it again. Um, uh, let's see. Uh, God, no, you're good. Uh, uh, talking about being a student in the semester, oh, yeah, yeah, taking the semester um, off. Yeah, no, I um, so I, I yeah, I ended up taking off. Um, I'm not taking any classes or anything. Um, it it, it ended up actually coming at a good time because I've um I've been able to take time off and you know lines up to where I finish and have some recovery over Christmas break. So I have a good, you know, three, three, four weeks. Um, and then to, to, you know, kind of shed the chemo, the chemo fog, all that, all that good stuff. And, uh, uh get back to in the spring, um, which has been a big motivator because it'd be really hard to miss an entire year of school, um, academically, let alone socially. But, uh, so yeah. Yeah. And you would have been like in high school, I guess, when COVID was happening. So I don't know how it was in Texas. I don't know if schools were, were open or closed at that time, but I mean, yeah, you've definitely been through the school ringer there. Yeah. Yeah. No, uh, Texas was, uh, it was interesting. Uh, we were, we were on zoom for a lot of it, but, um, 
in person for probably more than we should have. So tell me about, um, you mentioned you originally were hoping for the three weeks of uh, BEP. Talk to me about mm-hmm. the decision to go with the full course of BEP. Um, well, I guess the, the it wasn't much of a decision. It was kind of made for us, but um, at the there was a point in time where I was, uh, my CT scans were clean. Uh, my blood work was elevated, but very, very uh, minor. It was um, like, I guess what my FP was like, 30 something post-op pre-op it was normal um or at least like what we thought was my normal um and then uh it elevated well it was it started elevating and they thought it was kind of like a false um maybe a false testing maybe the lab work had, had been messed up um they thought it uh could have elevated because of other reasons um and, uh, they kind of, I don't know, it, it kind of sounded like it wasn't gonna keep going up. They kind of kept reassuring and, um, but we had to keep testing it. And, uh, so at that time they had given me the choice, you know, you could go surveillance, you can go one round of, um, BP, so three weeks. Um, and that's what we were kind of leaning towards just so, cause I don't know, surveillance to me sounds super, super like enduring on the mind it's a lot of anxiety you gotta you know just deal with a lot of um looming thoughts if you will and um so that was what i wanted to do and um then we so then i start moving in i start moving into college and you know moving into my apartment and you know keeping all of this kind of tuck while i'm uh, you know, around all my buddies and stuff and the the hype of being back and, you know, everyone's super excited and giddy to uh, get out and about. Um, so I'm trying to enjoy that at the same time. I'm, you know, seeing Dr. Cost and, you know, we're awaiting these, you know, results. Um, and so I get them back and it went up to, I think 40 something. So a, a big jump, you can see the trend. Um, as Dr. Cost actually said, he said the writing is on the wall um, and that's when we started talking to him about, you know, chemotherapy plans and, or I guess treatment plans and, uh, what that kind of looks like. Um, cause three X was our, uh, was our treatment option at that point. So, and then what did that do to you mentally when he told you that like, you were going to go from what you thought would be, you know, just mm-hmm. a quick three weeks of BEP to then the full, uh, three rounds of it. Yeah, no, I, uh, it, it, it was definitely probably the toughest news that I'd heard, um, throughout all this. Um, because, you know, I, I, I've gotten some tough news of, you know, the initial diagnosis and all that stuff, but this one stung a little bit, but a little bit more. Cause it, you know, I thought I was getting away from uh, a, a big chunk of it. And that, that was a big thing for me. I was, uh, you know, I was trying to avoid as much chemotherapy as possible, which is another driving factor for the, um, three weeks. Um, so, um, but I don't know it, it, um, yeah, I don't know. It was tough. It was tough. Yeah. And then talking about like getting back to school and being with all your friends and everybody's all giddy. Um, at what point if ever, um, did you tell your friends what was going on? So I did, I did end up, um, informing my fraternity, um, which is a big, it's my, uh, I would say it's my base group of friends, um, 
I, I had a, a, a small handful that, uh, a, like uh, three or four that already knew about it. Um, those are people that are, you know, very, very close that I had called um, after diagnosis. Um, but I, I decided to wait with all of that because I, you know, I didn't know what exactly I would be even telling at that point. So I waited until I got my results back and then I, um, I went back to my apartment and, you know, sketched up a, you know, an okay speech and, um, presented that to my fraternity at our chapter meeting, um, with all the guys present, which is, you know, it's a little, a little bit nerve wracking. Um, and just, you know, kind of laid all the facts out there and, you know, but, you know, reassured them, told them I was going to be okay. It was just a big thing, um, which is one of the very few good things about to see their cancer is most of the time we're going to be okay. Um, and then, uh, yeah, sprinkled in some words of motivation, maybe guilt tripped them a little bit to have an extra successful semester and, uh, yeah, left at that. Yeah. And I mean, however many guys there are in the fraternity, they're now aware. So, you know, what yeah, you're yeah. Going through is, is raising awareness for them too. Mm-hmm. So what kind of, um, response did they give you when you gave that speech to them? Um, I, I, I got a lot of, you know, pats on the back. Um, I, I think I definitely have a, an extra level of respect, um, from those guys for that. Cause I, you know, I stood up and, you know, I was vulnerable, laid all my, laid all my problems out there. And, uh, I think they, um, respected me for that. Um, and obviously they know I'm going through some, some pretty, uh, tough times and, uh, they're, they're there for me for that. Um, and, in, in every way, um, but I, I did actually have, you know, a, a, a couple, a couple guys come up to me and, uh, go, you know, Hey, how'd you find it? You know, what does it look like? What does it feel like? Um, which is a good feeling to know that, you know, that they have, um, you know, everyone's got worries, you know, you don't need to be embarrassed about it. Just go to the doctor and, you know, uh, figure it out. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about the BEP now. Tell me about like your first round, any side effects, and then we'll, we'll progress from first round to current. Okay. Um, yeah. So one thing I do want to um, point out um, before I forget um, is something that Dr. Cost had, um, had gone to bat for, um, which is um, using a peripheral IV for um, your treatment for a young men specifically. Um, so I'm going to vouch for my young men right now. Um, cause, cause, uh, one, one thing he mentioned is 22% from his, um, uh, studies or, you know, uh, professional side of things, uh, develop a clot or, or some sort of clot with a port or, um, which I think he, he might actually said that on here. Um, I don't know. Uh, and with, with a porter, uh, pick line that they tend to cause problems. Um, and so I have done, I've chosen to not do that obviously because he told me I shouldn't. Um, and that has actually worked out just fine. Um, now I do have some, you know, aches and pains in my veins every once in a while. I actually have one right now that's not going away, but, um, it's, it's of the last of it. Um, that's a big thing for me. Um, I don't know that I could not imagine dealing with more problems um, on top of all of the chemotherapy like that. So, um, yeah. Yeah. That's good to know. So um, yeah. So let's talk about like side effects from the first week. Uh, Like what point did you lose your hair? When did you start feeling nauseous? Mm -hmm. If at all. 
Um, so I've actually been, I'd like to say I've been pretty lucky so far. Um, I need to knock on wood so I can finish up my last with, uh, with the minimal symptoms I've had. Um, nausea, really, really none of it. Um, I've dodged that bullet almost completely. Um, I've, I haven't thrown up yet. Um, uh, you know, I, I feel like I'm kind of gloating a bit. Um, no, you're good. I, I didn't throw up until the last week of mine either. So. Yeah. So, um, but that was, uh, that, that, that's been great. Um, I, I've definitely dealt with some appetite changes here and there. Um, so the first, the first week actually is when, you know, you get on the appetite or the not appetite, um, nausea steroid, and that's made my appetite, you know, increase, um, which I actually kind of enjoyed cause I was able to eat a ton of food. Um, and I'm pretty bored. So being able to eat a lot of food is a, is a plus, um, uh, let's see. And then the first week was a lot of, um, fatigue, a lot of just being tired and sleeping. Um, those days are, you know, longer days, um, in the infusion room. So I would, you know, go, go to my infusion, get up early, try to eat a meal. Um, that was a big thing for me. I would usually feel better in the infusions if I, you know, ate something beforehand, um, which maybe sounds counterintuitive, but, um, and then, um, probably I guess on the first couple of days I stayed up and I was, you know, active in the infusion room, but then I ended up, you know, trying to sleep and, uh, sleep through that. And then I would end up sleeping when I got home. Um, but the first week was, uh, a lot of that, um, headaches and, uh, the, the fog, felt like it set on for me pretty early. Um, it's definitely a much stronger in those busy weeks. Um, but I started losing my, so I, I buzzed my head before I even started. Um, not like a bald shave, but like a buzz cut. Um, cause I knew, you know, I knew it was coming. I was like, why not? Um, let's see how it looks beforehand. Right. And, uh, so I, um, I did that. And then about a, uh, two weeks in the two week mark, I would say. So a full two weeks in treatment is when I started, it, it didn't, you know, completely go, but, uh, started, you know, it was coming back along the sides and, uh, started getting patchy. And so at that point I just, just shaved it. Um, so I guess pretty early. Um, and then it just never came back after that point. Did you feel like, um, when it started to fall out that it was like really prickly, like where it almost hurt? Yeah, actually. Yeah. Like, yeah. Cause I felt like I had pins poking in my head. Yeah, no, my scalp was, uh, it did feel an extra sensitive where the, uh, where the bunches of hair that were going. Um, and then I guess it, it, it kind of subsided after everything went, but, um, yeah, interesting feeling. And then did you have any, um, lung issues with the bleo? Um, I actually, so this is interesting too, cause I, I have asthma. And so I, we talked to Dr. Coster, like, is that a concern? You know, is that, is that something that's going to cause problems? And he, he did not seem concerned and I have had nothing so far. Hopefully we will say that way. Um, yeah, I've, I've for the most part avoided it. And this, this is another interesting thing is I actually had COVID two weeks before I started my chemo. Mm. So I had to wait because like I was supposed to start and, and I was like, and I'm a little under the weather. It is actually the third time I've had COVID. Uh, but, um, 
both times I had, you know, had no problem with it, but this time was a little less uh, for whatever reason. And, and so uh, thank God we tested for it um, before starting. Cause that would be a bad combination. And, you know, I don't want to expose anyone in the infusion room to, to COVID, but um, yeah, I uh, put that behind me and then eventually started and I had a little bit of a cough and it, it, it actually got better during treatment. So uh, I was able to avoid the bleed. Oh yeah. Nice. Okay. So then your second round, any changes in how it affected you? Um, the second round I would say is when I noticed the most buildup. Um, that's probably the weakest I've felt. Um, I'm cycle three is probably right in there too, but um, being, you know, being on the, on the, on the end of it, it's kind of easier. I don't know. I, I, th- I think my energy levels might just be up because I have a, you know, I'm in a better mood about the whole, whole deal. But um, the second cycle, definitely, um, I definitely noticed more just build up of symptoms. Um, things just intensified. Um, that's when, um, my appetite wasn't, you know, I, I wasn't nauseous. I wasn't, you know, not able to eat, but I would definitely have to, you know, Oh, I can eat right now. I need to eat, you know, eat when you can kind of thing. Uh, cause you don't know if you'll be able to eat a full meal. Um, and yeah, I, I don't think I use the, the, um, nausea medicine that they give you that the prevent or the treatment medicine that you can kind of use. I didn't use it yet until the, uh, the second cycle. And that's, so that was probably, um, the worst of it. Yeah. And then, uh, you're in your third cycle now. So how are things going currently? Um, yeah. So the third busy week was a busy week, um, that the veins do get tired. Um, that, that, that is one thing. Um, but, um, I assure you, if you, if you choose to go that route, you can get through it. Um, that's probably been my most annoying symptom, uh, is the veins just because they, you know, they're extra sensitive right now. And as you go through the therapy, it gets more and more. So finding a vein necessarily, uh, good for treatment is more of a challenge for the nurses now. Um, but I, I made, made it through that week, um, was able to, you know, find a fitting vein every day, just alternating arms and, uh, moving it around. And they, they've figured out, you know, if they flush me with some fluids and, um, if I keep heat on it and, you know, just, you know, stay good about, um, monitoring them. And, um, I can, for the most part, you know, avoid, uh, you know, any like superficial clotting, um, which I've been able to avoid, um, this whole time. So, um, but yeah, I, uh, definitely, I'm trying to think how these past weeks have been, um, the bleomycin is, uh, I've noticed, a an increase in that for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, for whatever reason, the second bleomycin shot always kind of knocks me on my, knocks me on my butt, um, for like a good two, three days. Um, and just kind of like the bleo feeling uh, just a little, maybe like my face will get hot. I'll, uh, uh, just feel a little hot, not like a fever, but like a weird, like achy sickness, um, headaches. I don't know, but yeah. So with the, um, IV, are they accessing a different vein every day? So like 
15 to 20. Wow. That's the goal. Um, some of some of my veins, some of my, yeah, they're they definitely getting, creative. uh, some of my veins are, um, uh, I don't know, able to take it easy, more than another one. Right. So it's, if I do one and I wake up the next day and it's not that sore, I might, I might go back to that one. Um, usually I try to give them a break, but I'll, I'll keep that in mind is, you know, that, 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 that's, uh, a, a tougher one. Um, but yeah, no, they, um, they've started going, having to go like up downward on my forearm and sort of on this side. And we've, uh, we try to avoid the ones in the, in the, in the crooks of your elbow, but those tend to be the best. So. Yeah. So when they're doing like the back of your arm, like, I mean, if you're sleeping or awake doing stuff, how does that affect like whatever you're doing? Um, for the most part, they've, they've made it, um, like I can still move around and stuff. They've made it pretty easy, but, um, if it's not in the crook, if it's below, I usually just, I'll sit there with a heating pad on a pillow and kind of, uh, rest the IV. If it's, um, like you said, if it's like my arms putting a weight on it. Um, but for the most part, it's, they use as small needles as they can. Right. So, um, but usually I don't have, I'm not, you know, I'm not sitting there in pain. That's, that's not the case. Um, through these later weeks, uh, while I'm getting treatment, you know, sometimes it'll, uh, it'll sting or burn every once in a while, but it's not, um, nothing that's like super intense or, uh, I don't know. Have you had to get up and pee a lot? Because I remember with all the fluids, like constantly up to go to the bathroom. Yeah. Yes. Yes. That is a, definitely a, a thing. And I've actually doing it during the cisplatin weeks, uh, where you're in there, you know, four or five hours a day. Um, I would uh, end up on Tuesday or Wednesday, I guess this, this time around it was Thursday. Um, they ended up giving me Lasix and it's like European, like a, a, a nice long, you know, bathroom break every 10, 15 minutes. Having had COVID three times, can you smell the pee? Yes. Yes. Terrible smell. Yeah. No, I, I'm, I'm glad that I'm not the only one that, you know, that has that, uh, cause, uh, it is, it's bad. Yeah. And it's almost like, it's almost a similar, it, while this is really gross, it's almost a similar taste. Cause I, I almost can taste like the chemo, uh, when I'm in there mm-hmm. or during the weeks, like my water bottle will start to. I'll start to have to like switch it out almost. Maybe it's a, maybe it's in my head, but I can taste some and it's not good. Interesting. Yeah. I had, um, I did have a port. So like I got to where at the end when they would like clean the site every day, mm-hmm. like whatever they were using to clean it, just that made me want to puke. So I had to like turn my head and kind of like, I don't know, but the smells yeah, definitely are, are intense. Yeah, no, they are. Um, do you have any advice for somebody who is going through treatment? Um, you know, as somebody who's in it right now, like staying mentally fit or staying distracted or whatever advice you have. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I try to try to find a group of, um, if, if not in person, obviously, you know, there's, there can be some restrictions on that cause you don't want to get sick and you know, you want to be focused on your treatment number one priority. Right. Um, but I, I, one thing I found is, you know, I've got some really good buddies, um, 
that are in college right now um, that I grew up with. Um, and, and those are guys that have been here for me since like the first day of my diagnosis. Um, uh, like I mentioned, when my parents were gone um, and when I got diagnosed, they were, you know, kind of in the middle of nowhere. So my buddies came and, you know, stayed with me and just, you know, kind of hung out and, you know, nobody wants to be home alone dealing with the, the, the first initial thoughts of, of that diagnosis. Um, so, and, and I stay connected with them through this. Um, and I mean, while this kind of maybe sounds cheesy, played a lot of video games with them. Um, and, and, you know, just try to get up every day and have, you know, kind of like a routine of just like shower and, uh, like brush your teeth. Like, I know that sounds ridiculous, but like get up and like get ready and, uh, you know, maybe eat a good meal, go, you know, read something, go for a walk. And then, uh, I would get on and, uh, you know, hang out with those guys and just chat and, you know, talk about regular things. And that was a big thing for me is just like having some, uh, regular interaction because there's not a lot of people my age, you know, around me right now, all my buddies are back at college doing their thing. So, um, just being able to, I don't know. Yeah. Interact and, uh, you know, bring some social, uh, just hanging out kind of thing. Great advice. Uh, what, uh, gaming system are you on? And then if you could share your tag in case anybody who's going through it wants to add you and play with you. Yeah, no, uh, I'm on a PlayStation five. Uh, you can add me at O dog underscore O four. So that's O D a W G underscore O four. Um, yeah, but yeah, add it, feel free, feel free to reach out. Um, but yeah, that, that, yeah, that's been a big thing for me. Um, a lot of college football. Um, I'm a, I am a bus fan cause I'm a student, but I'm also a diehard Longhorn fan. So you got the helmet um, back there behind you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, th- yeah, this, this is my dad's office. So <laughs> we'll give credit, but, um, yeah, yeah. A lot of sports. Yeah. Uh, is there anything else you want to add that I didn't ask about? Uh, I, I thought one thing that one thing I felt that I thought was interesting is, um, you know, kind of being on the end of it um, and, you know, seeing it from a from a different perspective than I was when I was in it and a different perspective than I was, um, you know, before I started treatment, knowing I had to do this treatment um, is that I, I feel like you're you're constantly told you're okay. You're constantly told for the most part, most people in, from my experience sounds like they've caught it somewhat early. Like that's what I was told. And, um, I, you know, I ended up doing a full three, but, um, I caught it, you know, kind of when it was going to blow up, um, because I only had one CT scan that was, um, dirty and it was, it hadn't metastasized. It was just, um, uh, swollen lymph nodes. Um, so I think I was still one S um, but you, you know, you're told all of this and, and that, you know, it's the best kind of cancer to have and, you know, thinking it's going to be, um, I don't know. I, I, I think I found myself thinking it was going to be this, you know, easier thing because of the cure rate and because of all these statistics that are kind of in front of you and, um, it's not easy and you have to remind yourself that. And so I, I think that that's a, I don't know, that's a big thing for me that stuck out is that. Um, well, there's so much, so, so many good resources around it and, um, that, that the curate is really good and that your chances are really good to not discount yourself and, you know, that you're still going through, it is still cancer. It is still, you know, a big 
turning point in, you know, wherever it is in your life. Um, so I don't know that that's a big thing for me. Um, and it also, uh, just being given a better perspective on life in general. Um, I think it's, it forces some of us to mature, which I would already, I already, I would already say, you know, I, I was, um, somewhat mature, but this is definitely, um, amped that up. And, uh, I think in some, you know, in, in really good ways, um, there's a lot of powerful lessons from it. Um, and so I don't know, I guess while I have my platform, it, you know, to the younger guys out there and to everyone out there, like take, take what you can from it. Cause it's, it's a split second and it, uh, or, or it feels like a split second when you're out of it. Like, it's just like a, I don't know, it comes at you and, um, there's a lot of good lessons from it, uh, that you can take. I don't know. Yeah. Great perspective. And I was going to also ask about, um, kind of what you said, like giving you a new perspective on life, like being 19. Um, what are you studying? So I'm still kind of deciding that, but along the lines of business, um, if I'm not to go that route, I will, um, do uh, principles of strategic communication with the business minor. So, yeah. So, I mean, is there, do you see yourself taking this experience and using it at all in, whatever career you might end up doing? Um, I, I, I think I will in, in a way um, just cause it's, I, I told my dad this, I, that it's, it, it kind of gives you an, uh, like a bird's eye view on life. Um, and it's cause it's kind of hard to not think about life in every aspect when you're, when you're going through something like this, especially when you're pulled back socially and you're um, you're pulled back socially, but you're also pulled back like scholastically, I guess you're not really taking school. You're not really, you know, doing anything, um, really productive with your, with your time while you're in treatment. Um, so it just lets you not only give you this aspect of shock and then kind of nothing like, right. It's, it's kind of a lull. So it's given me a lot of time to think and just, um, be appreciative and be grateful and, um, for, for the things that I do have going for me. Um, cause not everyone does. And, um, I don't know, I think it will just, yeah, just, just make a more mature sense of, um, my, maybe my professional connections, maybe, um, you know, just simply how you interact with people day to day. Um, so yeah. Yeah, that's great. Um, you mentioned your PlayStation gamer tag, any other socials where people can find you? Um, well, yeah, I mean, if you want to follow me on Instagram, like, I don't know, it, you it's uh owen murphy underscore oh four um that's how you can you know if you want to keep track of me want to you know see any updates in the uh i'm sure there'll be a post on there when i'm i wrap all this up so if you're interested um but yeah cool owen murphy thank you so much for being on it takes walls yeah dude it was awesome thank you for having me For more information and resources for your testicular cancer journey, visit testiculaircancerawarenessfoundation.org. You can also follow us on social media at Testis Cancer. We're on Facebook at Testicular Cancer Awareness Foundation.